very much. Appreciate you being in the Lord's house this morning. Glad you chose to be here. 2 Timothy chapter 2 will be the first place we'll be going this morning. I want you to look at some passages this morning with the service in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Different sort of message, but it'll be helpful to you. Glad you all are here. Thank you young folks for choosing to be in church today. Appreciate you getting up, getting on the bus, coming in. means a lot. Glad you're here. Um, the, I'm going to speak to you this morning on the subject of the context of some well-known verses. You'll hear us use the word context, and uh, that means how does it fit within the structure of the Bible? How does it fit within the verses before it, the verses after it, the other teachings in the Bible and such? Much error, wrong teaching that is claimed to be Bible teaching but is not biblical teaching comes from taking certain verses out of context. You just pull a verse without any um, care about how it actually fits in the body of the Scripture. And uh, so... This morning, I just chose a little different way of going about the message, and I, I, I'm not completely sure of the reason for it, except I just kept coming back to it. And I want to give you some verses which are familiar to quite a few people, but I want to give them to you in the context where they appear. Look at 2 Timothy 2, and let me show you um, the guidance of, of why I'm doing this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look in verse 15. This is not one of the verses I'm centering on this morning, but I want you to understand what we're doing. Scripture says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, it's important whose approval we're wanting in this. Approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. A workman is somebody who does something. It could be somebody who builds something, somebody who plants something, whatever. Here, the context of it is a workman somebody who's doing something for the Lord, trying to live for the Lord. Now, there's several reasons why you could be ashamed. You could be ashamed because you didn't have... You didn't put the time and effort into something that you need. You could be ashamed because you went about it and it didn't turn out right. I still remember when we were building the first building that was built over at Liberty Baptist where I was before coming here 31 years ago. And uh, of course, I had no experience building anything. Literally, nothing. I would not built so much as a birdhouse. And I come out of college and immediately where I go, we're building a building and all the other men, literally all the other men, except I think two, had built their own homes. Um, and the two that hadn't knew what they were doing with it. And these fellows would come in from work. They'd drive in their trucks and stuff. They'd hop out of their trucks. They'd walk over. And the congregation, we built the buildings ourselves. And they would walk over. They'd read the blueprint and start working. I didn't have a clue at all. Uh, I was the most educated and least knowledgeable man in the congregation. And so I was working and we were putting in baffles, which had me baffled for a little while, uh, along the sides before we put insulation in for the roofing. I was, I was learning all about that. Some of the men walk in and they look to one side and they, they look to the other and they said, uh, Brother Manning did that side. And uh, I thought, where do they know? And I looked and the fellow named Russ Hoppus who worked at Ace Hardware and he had built things all his life, he had done this side. Every one of the baffles, everything put in, we were constructing our own. Um, just little things to raise the 
the insulation up so that the air could go up and, 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 and the roof could breathe the way we built it with scissor trusses, didn't have an attic or anything. And so they, his side, everyone was perfect in place, exactly right, just looked like something out of the catalog. And once I sat, stepped back and looked at mine, I'd been trying my best to get that right. No two of them were exactly the same. They were, well, I hate to use real technical terms, but they were cattywampus. So <laughs> 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 well, it's cattywampus, what your cat looks like if you want it. Uh, they, uh, but they, they, they're cattywampus, they were they're, they're tilted. They're, and uh, I looked at that, and I, I was a workman that was ashamed. I, I put the effort in. I took more time than he did because I was trying to figure it out. But I fumbled trying to figure out how to use the tools. It's like some of you may remember the first time you used a wrench or anything and it would fall off of everything. You didn't know how to use it. No coordination. And so that's where I was. And uh, there's a lot of different ways. As a workman, you can be ashamed. And one of them is by uh, not rightly handling, not having knowledge of what you're doing. Uh, you can be ashamed because of not knowing a biblical answer to give when there should be a biblical answer you could have given. Uh, you can be ashamed by espousing something or, or, or teaching something or saying, well, this is the way it is, and finding out later you're completely off on it. And the way that we are to not be ashamed as workmen is to say, study. Look again at the verse, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. By the way, immediately goes into warning about shunning profane and vain babblings and talking about how that corrupt language, corrupt talking, will affect our judgment and what we're doing. But we, we are supposed to rightly divide the word truth. That, you know what that means? We're supposed to know how, how and where it fits. Not grabbing something here that doesn't fit and, 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 and trying to smash it in over here where it doesn't belong. And so we need to be careful of that. Let me show you another one. This is Old Testament. Look back in the book of Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> oh, come here, you. I should join you there. I'm glad the Bible didn't say get there fast because I never ever do. There you go. That's where Esther was hiding. Um, couldn't find him. Nehemiah chapter 8. Some of you have heard this. I've taught it here, but then men's meeting and then our, our teachers, Sunday school teachers and such, are familiar with this. The, uh, the wall around Jerusalem had been rebuilt. Old Testament here. Worship's being reestablished. God's people are gathering, being able to hear the Word of God again after many, many years of not hearing it publicly taught and read. And it says in verse 8, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. See that little phrase in the middle of the verse that gave the sense? That's the idea of context. So when they read in the law of God distinctly, they slowly read the verses they were reading. Not slowly in a, trying to be an overly dramatic, but they gave clear enunciation to it. They clearly read it so it could be followed. And then they gave the sense. They said, this is how it fits together. And this is where it goes. And this is how, how it applies to our life. Because they were giving the Word of God 
not just for people to say, I've been in a service, not just for people to say, I've heard the word preached today. They were giving it with the intent that people would be living it. And so giving it in context. These are the instructions from our God. These are the commandments, the precepts, the comfort, the instruction from the God before whom we will stand. And He gives it to us so that we may know it, we may learn it, love it, live it, and do what we ought to do with it. And so with that in mind, let me give you, let me give you just a few verses here this morning uh, in their context with it. I, I take you first to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Now not all of you will know these. Some of you have a lot less experience in the Bible than others, and that's fine. That's where everybody has to start. And so I don't want you to feel ashamed of that. I just, but for many people in the room, this, uh, these are verses you would know. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 5 is something probably Many in this room, you would recognize some could quote this very easily. First Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. It's a great verse. I mean, just by itself, it's a great verse. And it's a great truth that God put into just very few words. But when you take it in context, it's even greater. Because look what's right before this, if you will. Look, how it's, look what it's sandwiched in between. Look in verse 5. It says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. May there be a revival, by the way, of respect and respectful actions of young people towards elder people. That's something that was, uh, that, that, amen deserves that. It really does. And uh, that's something uh, from earliest age we were taught. As a child, an adult walked in the room, there weren't enough chairs for everybody. You didn't sit there and look at them. You got up and got out of the way. And uh, I still, I, I find it very, uh, very unwise, even a bit offensive to walk in as an adult and have a child just sit there and look at you. No, if there's not a chair, you get me out of the way. Just like if you're a man, a lady comes in, you get out of the way and give her a chair. And some of this, some of this stuff, you say that's old-fashioned. It's good, too. Air's old-fashioned, too. You might try it sometime, breathe it. There's some old-fashioned things that are very vital. And uh, we, ought to do, we ought to do things the right way. And uh, with that, you shouldn't have to be told to do that. And uh, so, younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then verse, uh, continuing the verse, yea, all of you be subject one to another. And so then that takes in the whole body of all ages for us uh, uh, trying, to, trying to be uh, courteous to each other and trying to treat each other respectfully. And that needs to flow both directions. And be clothed with humility. Well, to sometimes I have a message here called, What Did You Put On Today? Amen? And uh, that's, the title would scare some people, wouldn't it? And uh, You're going to be a legalist. No, are you clothed with humility? Sounds like something we have to put on. It's because we have a pride in nature. Let's, let's put on, let's be clothed with humility and cover up some of that pride. And uh, be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Amazing that. And when you consider when the Bible talks about uh, uses the term wrestling and uses the term uh, of confrontation as we have with the with the our adversary, and that wrestling is a resistance type of, a resistance type activity. Uh, you don't want God resisting you when you're trying to resist Satan. 
Yeah, why? Because when you're you're you need you need God on your side. You need God to help you. And so what happens? It says that God resisteth the proud. What's He do? He steps back from it. We've had uh, any number of times as as uh, as a grandparent and and uh, when my boys were young, uh, of course, the grandparent situation. You know, you're not raising them; they're not with you all the time. But uh, they'll say something. I saw my wife do it, and I was grateful both for what she did and the way she did it. Our, our little granddaughter, she uh, yes, I do remember her name. But she uh, um, she was there, and they were celebrating Roman's birthday, and and uh, we were all over, and, and uh, she wanted Nemo to do something with her. And yet she approached it as a command. She said, Nemaw, do this. And I heard it and I thought, that's not flying. And I was very glad the way my wife approached. My wife didn't move one, not one nerve towards doing what the child requested. Why? Because she didn't come and request. She came and said, there's a command there. And uh, you, know, you know how commanding little girls can be. And if they grow up to be older sisters, it's really, really bad. Yeah, maybe. Send that my my sister listens to the podcast, so I do that occasionally. Um, <laughs> but my my wife very sweetly said to her, she said, "Do you want to ask Nemo a question?" And she stopped, and she just wasn't thinking. She'd been trying to be out of the way. She, she said, "Oh, Nemo, could you please, or would you please, whatever." Be glad to do that with you. Right? That's important, by the way, to teach that way. You say, "Oh, yeah, don't make an idol out of your children. Don't do." It. You say, "How you know you make an idol when they run everything? Everything is well, little. They should be considered, but they should follow." Well, I tell you what, this is. I, I feel like a pork chop merchant in a Jewish market. <laughs> I'm selling and you're not buying. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's truth. And uh, so anyway, we'll go with it. You stay. Are you allowed to say stuff like that? Oh, yeah, I checked. I am. Um, so what happens when we humble ourselves, it says, it says God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What a great place to humble ourselves. We're not humbling ourselves before an adversary that's going to take advantage of that humility. We're not humbling ourselves towards someone who's going to use it to manipulate and distort things. We're humbling ourselves under, that's the protectiveness, under the mighty hand of God. I can afford to be humble because God's hand oversees and protects and cares for things. Mighty hand of God. Why? That He may exalt you in due time. In other words, when God knows that exalting you, when God knows that you going forward, you being promoted, you being recognized for something, will not damage you. He knows that. We'll leave that in His hand. Then you have the verse that we know so well. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I wonder how many cares that people take about in life with them are simply because they're concerned with how they are or not being treated and whether or not they've gotten a fair deal and whether or not uh, they're being, they're being uh, 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 recognized as they ought to be recognized. There's a lot of care that people take with them because of these things. And by the way, that care uh, can be avoided if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We recognize that He cares for us and recognize it's if, oh, okay, I didn't get the, I didn't get the, the, the recognition. That's fine. I'm doing it for recognition. I'm doing it for God. It makes a big difference. 
Well, someone didn't say thank you. Well, it's better if they say thank you, and we should practice always saying thank you when we should. But if they choose not to, were you trying to help them or were you just trying to get thanks? Well, I helped them out. I did something for them, but they never responded and given thanks back to me. Sure, that hurts on an emotional level, but God gave us the spiritual maturity to say, I was doing it to help them. You know those ten lepers that Jesus healed? And they went away, and one of them turned back and gave God the glory and thanked the Lord Jesus Christ. And that one was a Samaritan. Do you know, let me tell you something about the other nine. You say, shouldn't they turn back? Should have. Wouldn't it have been in the point of teaching that should glorify God? It is. But let me give you a little clue into something. All ten of them were healed. Now there's some wisdom if you'll catch that. Jesus didn't let the good He was doing being to be diminished because those He was being good to did not know how to respond. The good that He did, He still did because He was good. May God help us with that. Casting all your care upon Him. See that context? But then look at the next verse. Look at verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. That's always watching. Because your adversary, the devil... Your adversary. He's your personal adversary. He's not just adversary of the church. He's not just adversary of nations. He's your personal adversary. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brother that are in the world. In other words, uh, God's people around the globe have the similar things that they face. But you see how this happens? When you cast your care on, on God, when you come to Him with things, when you trust in Him with things, it strengthens you to take on your adversary. And here, the adversary is equated to a lion. It's amazing to me when I read different books on uh, man-eating uh, animals that eat, eat people, and uh, whether it be a leopard or tigers, Whatever. It's amazing to me to read the accounts where someone is snatched right out of beside somebody else. And that person didn't even know they were taken. So silent was the predator. So, so canny is, are they at hunting. So, so adapted are they at coming in silently that they wouldn't even know they were there until it was too late until the thing had them. Can I say to you, we need all our senses alert. We need all our vigilance uh, part of being vigilant is the fact you can be aware of things. You know, someone falls asleep on guard duty. There are certain times, certain situations that carries very, very heavy punishment. Why? Because they're endangering the life of everyone when they do that. Because while they're sleeping, they can't hear the enemy approaching. While they're sleeping, they can't know that danger's coming. Can I tell you something? When you're carrying all this care, when you don't go to the Lord with it, it hinders you. It makes you an easier target for the adversary. I mean, if you've ever played paintball, you've had paintball battles, all right? A lot of, a lot of fun. And uh, I like it. I haven't played it in a good while. And we were playing one time, and we were actually over at the Davises' place. Some of you remember and know well the Davises, and we were playing in the woods. And I had tactical vests on. We were playing. 
And I mean, you get into it. When you get in the midst of it, you think, you know, it's, it gets intense in your mind. You're really going for it. Now, you say, do the paintballs hurt? Yeah, if you have your gun set right, they do. And uh, they leave welts and that sort of thing. But, but, you know, you're not in mortal danger. You're more in mortal danger by running through the woods, strictly sometimes. But I was running, and, and there were two or three fellows left on the other team, and I was trying to draw them into a certain part of the woods, and I knew a couple of them were my sons, and they're really good at sniping. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and I thought, I can still take them out. And so I was trying to draw them away, and I was running like crazy, and I ran quickly down to a certain part I was looking for, and I got down in, and then I kept hearing, and I thought, they're sneaking out. I can hear them in the leaves. I kept hearing, oh my goodness. I was sitting there, man, and you know my pulse rates up, and I'm looking around, and I've been running like crazy. I thought, where are they? This is worrying me because it sounded close. And I thought, oh man, they're going to light me up, and both the boys have their set on full auto, and they don't quit shooting until you get your hand up, and Luke's gun can do 19 balls on me by that time. I'm going to look like a leopard, and and all of a sudden I. My tactical vest had Velcro. <laughs> and I was breathing hard from running in the woods. And every time I did, it went. <laughs> and I was hunkered down and terrified from Velcro. Silly things that I came up out of my hiding place and got blasted. Um, <laughs> It's hard to be vigilant about what the enemy may be trying to do to you if you've got all the clanking and creaking of cares so encumbering your senses that you're not attuned to paying attention to what the enemy's doing and where safety lies. That's a, that, that, where that is between those two things and humbling yourself and, resist, and, and effectively resisting the enemy is where that lies. Um, let me show you one that's out in the context just for what it says, and I'll not take long on this, Proverbs chapter 18. And I, I'm not going to give you all I have written down this morning, for which you should be grateful, but that which the Lord wants me to continue on will, will be helped by. Proverbs 18. I set up over there. Set up, oh yeah, you're going to sleep. It's making me jealous. Proverbs 18. 18, look if you will. This one's neat, verse 24. And I've explained this here before. I'll not take a long time. I think it's just a very good thing to have seasonal reminders of it. It says in verse 28 of Proverbs 18, it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In context, it could be there are friends that are closer than brothers, blood relatives. Sometimes friends are because relationships stronger for whatever reason. But I believe that also points us towards the greatest friend we can have, the friend of our soul, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for it. Um, it's like the Bible says that a brother is born for adversity. It doesn't mean that they're born to fight each other, although it may appear like that sometimes when they're young, but it means that they're there to help each other out when, when trouble comes. But this one, uh, oftentimes, and as you know, and as I've told you, the most common way people approach this, you'll see it written this way, you'll see people commenting on this way, They'll say, well, if you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. I do not disagree with the statement that if you want to have friends, you need to be friendly. That, that makes sense. That's real. But that's not what the verse says. The verse is talking about someone who already has friends. 
Down over there. Uh, it says, a man that hath friends. Not a man who wants to obtain friends. This is not about obtaining friends. It's about maintenance of friendship. Um, in other words, here's the point I want you to get from. We need to regard friendship as a uh, stewardship from the Lord. Where we've been put into a relationship with somebody where we may be a help to that person. And we may strengthen that person. Where we can, we can put something into them that will help them be more effective for the Lord and more helpful to the people they care about and stronger in their life. Um, we ought to be that way. Yes, I think all of us we have built in. It's good to have a friend. We enjoy it if we know there are people or persons that care about us. Um, but us being a friend is what the Bible's addressing. What kind of friend are we? And do we maintenance the friendship with it? We have a running joke about a couple of uh, preachers I know. And uh, I, can, I could almost answer the phone. If I see their number come up, I could almost answer the phone and say, what's the title of your new book? Because the only time that I hear from these folks is when they've got a new book published and they're looking for churches to get into and places to get to book. I don't mind folks doing that, but it's kind of funny if that's the only contact somebody makes. Is when they have something that they want from you, you know? And you, you, you know people like that in your life, probably. Let's not be people like that. I'm not saying that we can hang on the phone with everybody in the world and we should be contacting everybody every day. That's just silly. You don't have much going on in your life. You have time for all that. Uh, you know, some of my dearest friends, are, the contacts are, are you know, precious and, and few through the years. But we have contact, and you think about it. Let me tell you one good way to maintenance your friends is when you get a nudge in your heart about that person, especially in the day in which we live because it's, it's so available to do this readily. Um, you, you get a nudge about them. You think about, wonder how they're doing. You think about uh, some way you, you just, they come to your mind. It'd be amazing, a quick note, a quick text, a quick contact of some type um, where you just say, hey, I thought about you today and uh, appreciate it. Maybe even something you appreciate out of your relationship and that. You'd be amazed. I think you know this because you've been on the other end of it maybe, but you'd be amazed at what a difference that can make in somebody's day, their week. Just that little thing. It seems a little, doesn't it? And let me tell you something that uh, we need to grow in as a congregation is this type of care one for another. And uh, it's something we need to grow in. I'm telling you as your pastor, I'm giving you a professional opinion, and it's accurate. Uh, we need to grow and be careful with one another. You don't have to hang on the phone with somebody all day and all that sort of thing, but just a little thing. Say, hey, uh, the Lord blesses you today. Appreciate you. Just a quick thing. It makes a difference. It really does. And uh, so he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Has God graciously given you some friends? Maintenance those friendships. Uh, too soon. They are gone. Too soon they, they can be gone and you, you don't want to have squandered your opportunities with that. Then the last, I'll just show you these. They're both in the same chapter. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Turn over there, please. Two very well-known verses in Philippians chapter 4. Both of them are great standalone verses, but I'm going to quickly show you their context. 
Those are verses 13 and verses 19. Let's look at those. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I'm so glad I have a King James Bible. I'm so glad I have the perfectly preserved Word of God and it doesn't say I can do all things through Him who strengtheneth me. Or the One that strengtheneth me. That ambiguity of those terms needs to not be there. Christ is the One. Put His name to it. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. That's the one. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Certainly that's a verse which sometimes gets distorted and people try to use it as a springboard to accomplish whatever superhuman things they think they should be able to do as a Christian. But look at verse 19. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you are pretty familiar with those two verses? Are you not a trap at all? It's good. Those are good verses. They're tremendous in what they say. They're even more powerful in context. Look in the uh, verse 10. Let's get the context of verse 13. Look in verse 10. Paul here by the Spirit of God is writing the churches about what he had gone through in a missionary who was establishing other churches and establishing other congregations. And there were times when Paul was out and as he was establishing other churches, he also had to apply his trade, which was tent making, and had to finance himself, and there's some indication perhaps even help support the people who traveled with him, because he had some people with him. But then there were other times when the churches did what the churches should do, and those churches which had already been established, the Macedonian churches, was down through the Corinth area and that, they, they were good about this. They said, well, we're glad the gospel came to us. We're glad that someone came with the gospel with us, so we're going to help Paul go to other places with the gospel, and we're going to financially make sure he can go there and do that. Because wherever he goes, he's got to eat. Wherever he goes, he has to have lodging. Wherever he goes, his clothes are going to wear out. Wherever he goes, their, their cost uh, of doing business, of being alive and doing things. And if he's having to take care of all of that and trying to start a church and trying to do all the work and trying to study and trying to minister to the people, you're asking the man to do an 80, 100, 110 hour a week job indefinitely. He's not going to hold up. He's going to, he's going to wear out. He's going to blow out. And, and then the church will say, well, that's too bad. But then the church is the one that's culpable for it. No, we should take care of him. We should make sure he's cared for so that he's not fussing with all that. He can attend to what he's supposed to be doing. And so they, some churches got that. Some churches didn't get that. And so it starts in verse 10. He's, he's rejoicing with the Philippian church and also realizing, especially in his day when you couldn't transfer money, if they were sending something to help, it was sometimes an arduous journey getting it there, a dangerous journey and that. He said in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. So they had been taking good care of him, and then it went away. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. He recognized, he said, the problem wasn't that you were being stiff-necked or anything. He said there were some logistical problems. It seems like he says there was a problem here with getting this done. Now, not that I speak in respect of want. He said, I'm not talking to you because, because of my personal need. For I have learned, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You say, is he talking about geographical region? No, what, what condition, what state he's in? He explains it in the next verse. I know how to abound. He says, I know what to do if much is coming in. I know how to use that and not let it wreck me and, and use it, apply it the right way. I, can, I, I know how to abound and, excuse me, and, I can't talk. I know how to be abased. 
Ah, I lost my place. Help me. Where am I? 12? I shouldn't be there yet. Uh, ver- yeah, verse 12. Try to get um, Verse, I, I left off, I, I am, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. But therewith to be content, I left off, and that confused my brain for the rest of it. Um, now I'm content. I found that. Verse 12. I know both how to be abased, being put under and, and, and rough, and I know how to abound, having a lot, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full, he said, I know how to do that and, and handle that right, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he makes a statement on how he does both. How is he abased? How is he hungry? How is he suffering need and handling that with the right Christian spirit not getting bitter toward, uh, towards things at that time? How is he abounding and not having his heart taken away by the extra that's there and not, not getting focused on the material to the detriment of the spiritual? How did he do it? I can do all things. Direct reference back to what we just read. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Christ strengthens me to know how to be abased. Christ strengthens me to know how to be to abound. Christ strengthens me to know how to suffer need. Christ strengthens me to know how to have extra. And in all things, it's Christ that does it. Then, go down and you look in verse 19, that great verse there about God supplying all of their need, all your need. Who's He speaking that to and what's the condition? He started back in verse 10 where He's talking about the Philippian church caring for Him. Then look in verse 14. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. He said, church, you did well that you looked for the need that was there and you met the need. Now you Philippians know that at the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He told the Philippian church, which was the first church in that Macedonian region. They're up at the, at the top of it in the Achaia and Macedonia region. He was up in that area before he went down to where Corinth is. And he said, that church, he said, you, you were the only ones. You were the only ones we heard from. Verse 6, For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. And Thessalonica is not that far geographically from Philippi. Not because I desired a gift. He said, that wasn't it. I'm not trying to get rich off of you. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He said, Philippian church, he said, you are going to be blessed for the blessing you've been for others. He's telling them, because you freed my hands up to be a minister of the gospel and do what I should do, many more lives are affected. And because of that, you are blessed with the lives that are affected. Watch what he says. It's pretty neat how it works. He says, that you may have fruit for your account, that may abound to your account. Verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. And then here's what he likens it to, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He said it's like the incense that would come up at sacrifice time. He said what you sent was refreshing and blessing. And then look at the context of verse 19. They had given towards getting the gospel out. Now this promise is attached to what they did. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What's the summary of it all coming together? 
Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, God's getting glory in your life. He's getting glory by what you're doing. And He's going to take care of you. Why? Because you were looking beyond yourself. You were looking beyond your four walls. You were looking beyond your own little empire. And you were trying to get the Gospel into all the world. It's amazing stuff. Um, I've been amazed over the years to see when, when, when a group, when a, a people of God actually get a heart for getting the Gospel into the world in their local area and then throughout the world by all the means available, how much God blesses and keeps that going. Why? Because that's what He wants to be done. And uh, some places go out of the way to try to court people of a certain uh, financial demographic. I really do. And uh, so much better to please our God and let Him take care of what pleases Him. And that's what He wants us to do. You know, all through your Bible, there are verses like these. They're rich. They're powerful. They're, they're strengthening. And they're even more so when you take time to look them up. I'm going to issue a challenge. Few of you may want to take this this week. I want you to give thought and think of some verses that you know. Just, just maybe they do. Maybe it would be a verse like... Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Maybe it's a verse like that. Maybe, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's uh, something that's familiar and some of you, uh, this would be a good verse. Most people know it. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse starts with a four, which F-O-R, which tells you it's connected to another thought coming through there. John 3, 16. These kind of verses, okay? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you some. Think about a few verses that you know pretty well, that you hear over and over again. And I'm going to challenge you this week to get in the Bible and see how the, what their context is. Read the area right around. See what's going on before and after. And you'd be amazed. Some things which maybe the Holy Spirit's brought to your mind over the years to help you at certain times that have kind of been benchmark verses for you, if you will, that help you out. There may be some of those get even stronger more, more vital in your life if you see how they fit and where they are with it. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank You for Your people. The words of God as recorded in this book. Thank You for it. I pray You'll bless. Help for people to be a blessing to You as they take what they're taught and use it. Put it into play. May we be a people hungering after Your Word. Help us to grow. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and as I've opened the Word of God this morning, God's it's hard to talk to heart. Something you want to bring to the Lord. It's very appropriate for God's people to respond to the preaching of the Word of God. This web plays a song invitation to come this morning and just bring something to the Lord.